Welcome back to Poison for Profit. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. And today we are going to be bringing you quite the package of an episode. We're going to be having another guest on today. We're going to have Andrew Gores, packaging engineer. Andrew, go ahead and say hello. Everyone, happy to be here and talk a little bit about packaging and sustainability. Definitely. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, so this uh, whole episode was sparked by a conversation we had a while ago, Andrew, while we were having beverage as, having some beverages as we do. Uh, we got talking about work and that, and I, I just thought it was really interesting talking about uh, how sustainability and packaging are pretty interconnected from what it sounds. And it's not something I think uh, most people think of right away when you're thinking of uh, packaging, you know, the box that your product comes in, that there are efforts and movements towards making these more sustainable and better for the environment. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's such a big topic of conversation too, especially just with packaging, because a lot of the stuff that consumers buy, the package is almost always thrown away. And there's usually never a second use for it. So that's really why there's a lot of focus put on trying to make packaging more sustainable. Yeah. And I, I mean, we've talked about it in other episodes. There's all sorts of new labels that are coming out. Uh, a lot of compostable or this is post-consumer recycled material. Um, and something, just to really jump right into it, Anya, uh, something that you told me that was pretty interesting is that packaging that says that post-consumer recycle, there's not really a way of verifying that information. So I thought it'd be interesting if you could maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So post-consumer recycled content is something that a lot of companies are pushing towards just in this pursuit of sustainability. But it's really hard to understand what actually is post-consumer recycled content. This This is materials that have already been delivered to a customer before they actually get disposed of. And so if you think about a lot of large manufactured products or just products in the U.S. in general that are being built, I think car manufacturers are a good example just because there's so many components that go into building a car. But all the packaging materials that arrive at the manufacturing plant, those are not considered post-consumer recycled products. It actually has to be an end good that's delivered to a customer before it sort of gets that tag of being post-consumer. And so the reason it's so hard to track what actually is post-consumer versus just recycled content is because these companies or these packaging suppliers that are maybe the ones making the corrugated board that boxes are made out of, or maybe companies that are making the plastic films that wrap up various products for protection or shelf life, they don't always have access to understand where their recycled materials are exactly coming from. And so they get a they get a pallet of recycled boxes that show up at their door to put into the raw material to make more corrugated, for example. They don't know if half of that came from post-consumer uses or if it was just in process of different manufactured items. So, yeah, it's something that's definitely really hard to track, even in the U.S., yeah. I mean, that makes sense. How could you, it's not like it comes with a chain of custody, custody form or a receipt that says this came from, uh, Nick's house. He, <laughs> he put this in the bin. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Cause it, to me, it is kind of like one of those things that 
looks really good on a package if it says it's 90% post-consumer because then it makes it seem like we're actually making quite the stride and quite the change that I think a lot of people hope and think that we are doing in this world. You know, everyone is, I would say, very much on board with protecting the planet, or at least in my circles. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a question for you, Andrew, um, just for clarification's sake. So you said that there's a distinction between post-consumer recycled and basically any other recycled. Is that right? So I have, I have a lot of work experience in manufacturing facilities and we recycle cardboard and plastic, things like that. that. That's still being recycled, but that doesn't qualify as post-consumer because it's not reaching an end consumer. Is that, that's what you're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. So yeah. It's- so it can travel between industries, but it's not post-consumer still. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It has to be like technically like a finished good, I guess, that somebody would be able to like purchase themselves to be good. It will be post-consumer. So yeah, it's pretty challenging. And especially thinking about like plastic films that are already hard to recycle the way it is. And then you get a requirement that a certain amount has to be post-consumer content. Then you sort of get into problems with contamination and all sorts of other things and just about cost to actually recycle it. So it's definitely, definitely a challenge. Uh, yeah. So that actually brings up two good questions I thought of while you were talking. Is it that much more challenging to use the post-consumer goods as opposed to uh, if it's something like the industry uses it or obviously virgin materials are going to be much easier, but it does the contamination from the consumer. So like, I guess in my head, I always think of like the pizza box. Like Technically, a pizza box isn't really recyclable because it has pizza still on it. The grease is still on it. Is that a pretty big challenge when using these post-consumer materials? Yeah, it is, especially I would say with plastic resins. I would say so it's less of a concern with like the corrugated stuff because typically it's not in like direct contact with food products or maybe medical pharmaceutical products. But for plastics, it's definitely a bigger deal, and especially when you think about just all the food packaging that is out there. It's almost all made of like flexible films or for the packaging materials. And so, like, technically, when a consumer throws that stuff away, in order for it to be considered recyclable, they're supposed to, like, wash all of the grease and oil stains off of the film before actually discarding it. And that's something that just, frankly, not a lot of people are ever going to do. So what ends up happening is a lot of this plastic material just will never even make its way into the recycling streams to begin with. And so it'll never actually get to the point of being ground back down into resin to make more materials with basically and um another challenge with it that's actually kind of unique i guess or not something that would come to mind right away is actually discoloration so for example if a company wants to sell like a yogurt product in a in a white cup if you're using like post-consumer materials there's probably going to be some black materials or different colors mixed in so it's going to sort of end up in like a gray gray tone that is not always super desirable so that's a, that's another thing that's sort of challenging when working with these. It limits the 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 options then. Yeah, it's kind of or what just, it can be um, reused. It's almost I would say more of like a marketing thing at that point, or um, how they want their product to come car- across on shelf because they definitely get okay. the benefit of being more sustainable, but you also kind of get the drawback of maybe bad first impression 
efficiently. Right. That makes sense. And uh, just quick, uh, you said that these plastic resins uh, that are used for like food, what would, can you just give us an example of one that you can think of, like a product that people might be familiar with that yeah. kind of comes to mind? Definitely. Well, I used to work for a cheese manufacturer, so that always comes right to mind to me. And we used to do like natural cheese slices. So if you're buying like a 10 pack, 10 pack of sliced cheese at the store, or we used to do like yogurt or cream cheese where you're more using like cups and tubs and things like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, we were working hard towards a lot of this sustainability stuff. Another thing, just detail about the packaging industry is a lot of these films for cheese, especially, or other shelf life sensitive products that can expire and go bad. A lot of the films often will use multiple different polymers in them. So it's it's sort of like three or four thin little layers of film that are stacked up on top of each other and sort of glued together mm-hmm. almost. And this gives like super good properties for performance and shelf life and protection. Um, that you really it's hard to it's hard to get the same performance basically if you're only using one type of film. And the only mm-hmm. way for these films to become recyclables is if they're one layer structures, because once they're together, you really can't separate them when you're when you're recycling them. Gotcha. It's like somebody like mixed everything all together. There's no there's no separating that. Exactly. That sense. Yep. So the the films you're talking about is that like craft singles, the rappers that comes in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. More so, those might actually be single layer, possibly. Where it's just one material, okay. but the, I mean, historically, like cheese packaging, like if you're buying like a ten pack of sliced like pepper jack cheese or something like that, that would be definitely a multi layer film structure or like oh, right. I'm okay. sure like meats, like deli meat. Okay, like I, I I know I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So going back a little bit, you mentioned that there's these goals, and uh, I guess goals is the best way to put it that are made by either the companies or other foundations or groups. Can you just like kind of walk through some of that? Like who are these groups that are kind of making these goals or is it a company driven thing or is it pushed by the government? Yeah. So a big one in the industry is called the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And it's essentially a list of sort of guidelines that were established that companies can almost choose to like opt into and work towards. Mm -hmm. So big one is like a 2025 sustainability initiative for packaging materials. And Walmart is one of the companies that has actually committed to this goal set by the Ellen MacArthur foundation. And essentially what it is, is to have all the packaging materials must be recyclable. So that sort of goes back to that single layer film structure stuff I was talking about. Um, And then all of the packaging materials also have to have 30% post-consumer recycled content in them when they're manufactured. So like the actual film itself, when it's developed and made, it has to have 30% of this PCR in it. And Walmart is one of the big, like the largest company that has committed to this. And since Walmart is such a large reseller where so many different companies are selling their products through this retail channel, they also have to essentially meet these requirements. So the fact that like Walmart has committed to this one has been a huge push for the packaging industry for sure to become more sustainable. What is the process for ensuring that 
these kind of requirements of organizations like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, that their requirements are met? Is there uh, like auditing teams from companies like Walgreens that go to each of these, um, I guess, client companies that they're selling through? Or is it relying on third party audits? Yeah, that's a good question. So I don't know if they, so it's kind of interesting because the Ellen MacArthur Foundation would never be the one like auditing Walmart, I don't think, because this is just something that Walmart has sort of like opted into. It's not something that they necessarily need to do, but it's something they have chosen to do. But if you're like a supplier to Walmart, um, I know the way it worked when I was working for a supplier was you would pretty much get sent a survey from Walmart listing all of the different SKUs that you sell in all of their different stores. So it can be a ton of items depending on the company. And you have to go in and input all of the packaging materials specifically that are being used for each of the different products. And that's how they sort of track your progress against these goals. I don't know how far they would take it. Like if they would ever look into auditing some of their suppliers to make sure it's actually mm-hmm. correct information. But yeah, that's kind of the, the way it was working when I was involved with them. Is there a certification that is is attached to it for labeling or anything? Or is that just kind of like the goal that they can market then? I don't think there's a certification. So I think it would more no, so sure. be okay. a marketing type. Right. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't really expect it then if it's not like a certification for them to have an auditing process. Because I have some familiarity with, with things like ISO 14,000, where like that's a definite certification. You have to re-register and get third-party audits. So I, did, I wasn't sure if the Ellen MacArthur Foundation was something similar to that or if it was more uh, like totally voluntary type of thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a good question, actually. And I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. But we were never sort of like directly involved with them. We were sort of like one step away being a supplier of Walmart's. So we were never truly involved, but yeah, it's definitely a good point. I'm not sure. So in preparation, I looked at that uh, L.M. MacArthur Foundation global commitment you sent me along, Andrew. And I think it is a voluntary thing that these companies are going into, uh, which is probably why so many are. (laughs) Because, Because there is not much requirement. Uh, and I was just looking at some of the key progress in their metrics and they're not really making a whole lot of progress, unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think it's very interesting that, I mean, they have some pretty big names on this, uh, I guess, pledge or commitment, uh, Nestle, PepsiCo, Unilever, Coca-Cola, Mars Incorporated, L'Oreal, uh, which obviously a lot of those kind of follow suit with Walmart. So it kind of makes sense that they're also committed. So I guess, is there any something more like a more stringent certification type label you could get on a package that you know of, like uh, that says that this package is truly sustainable or best practice to, you know, make it good for the environment anything like yeah, that yeah so i know you work with especially in european countries over the last year a couple years they've started to like implement their own regulations um sort of country by country where they're telling you what you can and cannot use in as packaging materials and 
that is a lot more stringent where you actually have to follow what they're doing or else you pretty much get fined if you're selling goods that aren't complying in their country. I know a label that is starting to pop up all over the place is the how to recycle label. And it's sort of a little graphic that goes on the back of packages and it tells you all the different materials that are in the package and how to dispose of them essentially. So whether it needs to go in the trash or whether it can be recycled. And so it's really trying to make it a lot easier for the end consumer to not only understand what's actually recyclable, but actually like take the initiative and go and do it. Um, There might be some countries that are making that more of a strict requirement to use the how to recycle label, but I'm not quite sure about that either. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think obviously that's a big part of it all is you need to know how to actually dispose of your trash or recyclables. Uh, That's something that we've talked about in the compostable there's the compostable label that's going on everything. I'm not sure if you're, you probably haven't worked with it much, but they have it in like silverware and paper plates a lot now. And if you really look into it, the you have to industrially compost it. It's not like you could throw it in your backyard. Kind of thing. It's basically plastic. So it's kind yeah. of, like, <laughs> yeah, it's basically plastic still, but they're, they're marketing it to us as <laughs> this uh, environmentally conscious uh, yeah, silverware. That, that is an interesting one. I've actually seen like some. I think it was the Australian regulations, actually, but they still allow the use of like some single layer plastics going out to like 2024, 2025, but they're outlawing the compostable plastics before then because mm. it sort of like encourages people to compost them, but they still don't break down for mm-hmm. I don't know what it is like 20 or 30 years or however long it takes. So it's really just almost more of a negative than than anything. Kind of like a yeah. reverse psychology where they'll start using more of it because it says compostable on it. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And then hucking it out their window <laughs> as they're <Right>. driving. <laughs> straight into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's also interesting to hear you talk on... I, I, I couldn't help but notice you left out the United States in <laughs> these... Uh, these more regulatory uh, countries. Uh, have you seen much push from uh, the United States government for stricter packaging rules for recycling or materials? Or even like state governments, like that? yeah. Yeah, that, either one. I wouldn't say I've seen it from the government in the U.S., but like the whole thing I was talking about with Walmart before, they're almost sort of forcing the issue but it is definitely less strict than European countries where it's actually the government that are putting these regulations in place and sort of forcing your hand almost. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in the U S at some point, but I don't know of any like actual requirements at this point. Ongoing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty common theme for our uh, podcast, right? Zach, we're uh, (laughs) often looking at other countries and how, good they're doing and then we're just kind of hanging out (laughs) right and then i was gonna ask what do you feel is the like hidden environmental disaster in the plastic uh or in the packaging industry so like like what is not getting talked about uh what aren't people thinking about with their packaging uh you know everyone sees the coke bottles floating in the ocean 
realizes that's a terrible thing, but what aren't people talking about in the packaging department? Well, I'd say one thing that's really tricky about sort of getting all this stuff off the ground is that it's expensive and not easy to actually recycle the materials at this point. And so it's really a big challenge when you're being forced to use post-consumer recycled content in your materials, but you can't even source that post-consumer recycled material because recycling centers can't even break it down and make money off of it to even like sell it to a, to a raw material manufacturer. So it's kind of, I, I think of it sort of like a chicken and the egg kind of situation where mm-hmm. in order to get the recycle, like the raw materials that you need to do this stuff sustainably, you need to have the recycling infrastructure in place that can actually handle it and break down the materials. But no recycling centers are going to just build these massive manufacturing locations to do this kind of stuff if there's nobody that's going to be buying it for and that they can make a profit off it. So it's sort of like an interesting loop where everything almost needs to sort of like happen at once which it seems to be starting to happen within the past couple of years, I would say, from what I can see. But yeah, it's just tricky to sort of get that ball rolling mm-hmm. and make it make it like actually cost-effective where companies aren't doing this and like losing a bunch of money just to switch to a sort of like inferior material. Um, because plastics are really great at what they do. They're really cost-effective and they provide so many good properties, but... Unfortunately, they're just terrible for the environment, so they need to get phased out. But once you sort of have had this like sugar rush for such a long time where you can use these off, like these cost-effective protected materials, it's hard to like sort of like wean yourself off of it and get back to stuff that's actually a lot more sustainable. Because it does its job and it's easy, it's cheap, yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. hard to, yeah, like you said, switch to a less effective product. <laughs> yeah. Do you see that happening at all? Like, uh, I mean, like you said, it, it's expensive to recycle plastics. And I think it's probably percentage-wise like the least recycled of all recyclable materials. Do you see like in the future, a move away from plastic towards things like paper-based materials or or even like for bottles, like more glass bottles going back to glass? Yeah, I think especially with paper-based materials is going to be the future for sure. And so I think the place that it's going to be probably tricky, trickiest is in the food industry, mm-hmm. trying to like keep those paper materials dry or somehow incorporate a shelf life property. Maybe it'll either even be like half paper materials laminated to a layer of plastic on the inside that can still be separated and broke down and recycled. Maybe that's where it has to go. But I know for like consumer electronics products or more, I would say, luxury goods, not stuff that you buy at the store every day, this is definitely already happening. And like, for example, when you get a new iPhone, it's pretty much all paper-based plastic materials or like I work for an audio company now and we're pretty much moving a hundred percent towards sustainable packaging whenever we can make it work and still protect the product um, during shipment to distribution. So yeah, it seems to be, I think it's definitely going to happen for those sorts of items and it might just take a little bit longer for sort of like Coke bottles or stuff you get at the store like groceries. 
So it's the food is really holding it up, you would say, more than anything? I think so, just because there's such high volume items, too. Like, mm-hmm. for example, if you're selling iPhones, you're only, there's like a limit to the number that you're going to be selling in a year. But if you're selling something at the store, like a bag of Oreos or something, it's just insane the amount of volume that you can go through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's those types of products are really set up for like high speed manufacturing where it's not going to be so easy to just get the same manufacturing equipment to be able to run paper-based materials through it and be able to actually get good results like seal quality and all these sorts of things. That's just my hunch, though. I, I mean, I feel like that's going to be the probably the trickiest area. Are you familiar with shrinkflation? Shrink. The term for shrinkflation? I don't think so. Because I keep seeing these pictures of, like, uh, well, Girl Scout cookies, for example. They got the same size boxes and the same, like, size plastic packaging, but there's fewer cookies in there. So they're, like, using the same amount of plastic, but they're, you get less cookies. Um, why I don't, I just don't understand <laughs> the idea of why, I mean, I guess they were trying to make it look like you're getting more before you actually open the package. Right. But that doesn't seem very sustainable. <laughs> Zach secretly just mad. He's getting less Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's messed up if they're doing that stuff. I mean, it seems like it should be. Illegal, right? like a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh misleading marketing <laughs> yeah it is it's a bait and switch you touched on it a little bit ago with like the plastic bottle the i feel like that's the number one package everyone is pretty annoyed with and i know where you've worked in the past and where you work now obviously you don't bottle coca-cola <laughs> but if you had to hatchet a guess why do you think we all i feel like most people i talk to like I, I'd be, I almost prefer drinking out of the glass Coke bottle, right? Why haven't we switched back? Uh, is it a like you said a manufacturing thing? Is it a convenience thing for Coke? A money thing? What do you, if you had to guess? I would definitely say cost of manufacturing. Way, way more expensive to make glass bottles than it is for plastic. Mm-hmm. Also, distribute it factors into distribution because glass is so heavy. And when you're shipping on truckloads, they do have a max weight. And I'd imagine if it's a truck full of, full of like Coke, you probably could only fill it like half full if you're using glass. We used to actually weigh out trucks with cheese. So you can imagine if it's fully liquid and really densely packed, it's probably going to weigh out the truck as well. So the plastic probably helps with that quite a lot as well. I see. Yeah. That's, that's the part of the equation I don't hardly think of as how it gets to me, which yeah. is definitely something that uh, is accomplished with packaging. So, um, yeah, that's that's interesting thought. I, I guess I didn't even really think that it would be a weight issue, and they probably, like you said, would be half compared to what they're shipping in plastic, huh? Yeah, and it's not only about shipping like the end product too, but also shipping the bottles before they get there. It's like if you're shipping glass oh. bottles, they're fully sized and like fully formed already. Where with like the bottles that they make for Coke, they're probably using some sort of like injection molding process where you can either just ship the resin or it's like a very small Coke bottle that isn't yet expanded yet. 
And when they manufactured it, it sort of blows out into full size. So yeah, there's probably just a lot of manufacturing inefficiencies that would stop that. But I agree, the glass bottles are awesome. Like, it definitely tastes better out of there for sure. <laughs> Coca-Cola's definitely got some other shit going on too with like their... They refuse to promote like a, uh, a recycling program um, that definitely like some some other questionable things going on besides, you know, just <laughs> using glass. They don't really want to recycle plastic either. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They probably have their ties with fossil fuel. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, I was so mad though. And I don't know if you guys remember... This is a side topic, but uh, I I used to love getting a Snapple in the glass jar, and then they like switched it, and they're like, "Look, a new plastic bottle," and I was like, "Oh, they man, don't have Snapple in glass I don't anymore." Think so. I'm pretty sure it's all plastic, and I'm pissed about it. it doesn't taste the same. They probably yeah. probably shot themselves in the foot with that one. But that's my everything uh, rant. <laughs> is there any soft drink or anything? That is in glass anymore. Uh, I can't. All I can think of I can is, think of like Bundaberg <laughs> ginger beer. That's all I can think of. I can think of. But that's like, that's like very bougie. <laughs> I was going to say Haritos or whatever that is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, that's the only one I can think of. There's got to be like some kombucha out there that's in glass bottles. Oh, kombucha. Yeah, sure. definitely kombucha. I get. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. I. I get, I get. It, it makes a little bit more sense to me now why they haven't switched back like that. Because in my head, I'm like, well, they just switched right back to glass. But then I, I used to, a little bit of a weird fact about me, I used to collect soda bottles, glass soda bottles. And so if you look at the bottom of them, they say where they're manufactured. So that's probably why they had so many different manufacturing spots because... That way they didn't have to ship it as far, maybe. And you probably oh, need a huge amount of uh, production, right, for glass compared to plastic. I bet a glass factory is a lot slower than plastic. Would that be true, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Plastics are plastics are fast and easy, easy to, like, shape and everything. Glass is a little mm-hmm. bit trickier. I actually got to, there was a, where I went to school, there was a glass manufacturer in the in the town that I lived in. And it was kind of interesting to learn about because they essentially glass has like a massive furnace where it has like the molten glass in there before it gets formed into bottles or whatever it's going to be. And you really can't shut that furnace down. And once you do, it takes multiple days to actually heat it back up and get the glass to a state where it can actually be formed into bottles again. So I just thought it was interesting. You pretty much have to keep those running like 24-7 no matter what to even produce glass in the first place. I work in a fiberglass factory right now, and that's you're spot on. Like, whatever you got to do to keep it running, you do it. They do not shut it down for any reason, unless it's like at risk of explosion. But yeah, it's crazy. Crazy to think all everything that goes into like making products. Definitely. I was going to ask Andrew for packaging. What do you think is our saving grace what is the the material that is gonna push us uh push us past this pollution problem we're having where we're having you know the great pacific garbage patch floating out in the uh pacific ocean 
these crazy huge landfills what's gonna what's gonna save us what do you foresee i would i would add to that question do you think recycling is either a large part of that or could it be possibly be all of that where does it factor in with you know material different alternative materials and processes hitting them with the two-parter i would (laughs) i would have to say recycling would probably be the biggest part in my opinion and i just say that because i don't think it's ever going to get to a place where you can completely eliminate all plastic materials maybe if in the future we could get to a state where polyethylene for example which is pretty much the most common plastic out there if we can get to a point where polyethylene is the only film that's really being used for anything like if it's a single plastic material that's being used in packaging then it's going to be a lot easier to set up recycling streams for that and it can maybe get to a place where instead of people seeing plastic and immediately thinking oh i need to throw this in the trash instead it can maybe get to a place where they see plastic and they know immediately that it's recyclable pretty much how people think of like corrugated these days like if you ever get a box it's pretty just intuitive that that goes in their cycling so that's kind of how i feel about it i don't know i guess i don't really see a world where plastics are not being used um just because some of the stuff we talked about but maybe if there's a way that they can sort of streamline it so it's only certain plastics the recycling streams are all open everywhere where it can actually be discarded properly and the recycling centers can actually break it back down into raw material to be used again I feel like that's really the only way to make it happen. So recycling the biggest thing and then alternative materials. Is that what yeah, you, or, or is it, say, is it more cutting down on like the, the varieties of plastic? Exactly. So I think it's recycling okay. and then sort of like commonizing materials as much as possible. Okay. And polyethylene. Could you just give us a quick example of like, what we would go to the grocery store and buy that would have polyethylene. Yeah. So there's a few different kinds, I guess like high density polyethylene is more has that white color, like a milk carton is the best example of high density and then low density polyethylene. The best way I can describe it would be like, if you ever get like a product that's just wrapped in like a really cheap, like clear plastic bag, that's probably low density polyethylene. Like saran wrap type. Um, I wouldn't even say saran wrap. That probably has some other stuff going on to give it that like weird tacky, okay. tacky like property, I guess. Like I'm thinking if you buy like a HDMI cable or something and it comes in just like a real thin plastic bag. Oh, like the, okay. Okay. Yeah. Just like the blister pack type thing. Uh, or no, not even, not even blister. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had an example to just show you guys, but here I got one. Like a plastic potato sack or something? Like this, like this bag of rice that I got here. This is probably just there you go. polyethylene. It's probably a pretty simple okay. film. But yeah. There's a lot of different plastics out there for different properties. Like, for example, like the Coke bottles we were talking about. The caps are typically made out of like polypropylene. And that's because they have really good like hinge resistance and durability over time. Or like shampoo bottles, how they like flip open and flip back shut. It's like really good at not becoming brittle over time. Where some plastics, if you like take it and bend it back and forth like three times, it'll immediately want to just snap in half. 
but that's one thing where like polypropylene does that super well. I don't know how it's easy it's going to be to like find an alternative for that specific use case. But overall, from what I've seen, at least polyethylene is the most like versatile. Can do a lot of different stuff. I have one last question on my list, and then if Zach has any other questions, or you have any questions for us, or you want to talk about anything else, it's, the floor is yours. <laughs> but I wanted to ask, which I'm gonna get just pigeonhole you to plastics because i'm guessing they're the worst <laughs> but uh what is the like one plastic that we should just get rid of off of all of our packaging out of our environment right away uh should have been banned already has alternatives uh that kind of thing like what is the the issue we could solve today yeah the biggest one that i've already seen requirements for are pvc which is like piping type plastics and yep. EPS, which is extend, expanded polystyrene. So that's like packing peanuts made out of that styrofoam or sometimes like the cushing materials for electronic products. But yeah, those two are pretty terrible because they're just extremely difficult to recycle. And really no mm-hmm. nowhere actually does recycle of those. And even like the ex- expanded polystyrene, it's essentially plastic that's like blown up to be foam. So it just takes up even more space and even more wasteful just because of the nature of what it is. But I would say those are the two big ones. And then really just multi-layer film structures are really good for some stuff. But for as far as recycling and sustainability goes, they're pretty terrible. Do you feel like we have uh, alternatives to these? Like for PVC piping, I know a big issue with getting rid of it is that it is so good at what it does for that piping uh it's cheap yeah it's cheap and it uh, can hold pressure um doesn't really break down which is a big problem for our environment (laughs) Uh, but good for if you want to stick around and uh, you know pipe your home or whatever yeah so i don't know if there's like easy alternatives but there's probably stuff you can do with trade-offs so like if you're trying to find an alternative that costs the same price is as easy to manufacture and still weighs as little as it does that might not be possible, mm. but I'm sure you can find materials that will serve the same function. It'll probably either just cost more or maybe be less efficient, but I feel like it's always just trade-offs. It's never like a maybe one-for-one alternative, but I think there are pretty much ways to get all of this stuff done. It's just going to take some time, but yeah. Zach, you have any other questions? I'm good on questions, yeah. Andrew, anything else you want to tell the people? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel like one thing that I've been pretty interested in recently is like electric vehicles and electric energy, sustainable energy, really just in general. Yeah, I've learned a lot about this over the past few years, and it really is going to be one of the main things that can get us to like more of a green economy, just because when you are using like fossil fuels for like car transportation and things like that, a lot of the energy is just wasted. It doesn't actually get put to use. And it's just wasted as waste heat. So I think it's like when you're driving a car, only like one third of the fuel that you burn actually does the work to propel you forward. And the rest is essentially just dissipated as heat. And so Mm -hmm. electric vehicles are pretty rough to manufacture and get all the materials that go into the batteries. But after about a year of being on the road, they already sort of surpassed the sustainability, if you will, of a gas powered car. Mm -hmm. 
So it's just sort of the thing where the more you get on the roads, the more basically less gas you burn each year. And it's sort of going to be a compounding effect where at first it's probably not going to make a massive difference, but in maybe like 10 or 20 years, it'll probably be really all that's available. Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting uh, thought. I think electric vehicles are definitely the future as well. Um, I think, like you talked about, uh, it's everyone always talks about the upfront costs of getting the materials that you need for the batteries, for the motors, uh, whatever it is. Um, but I feel a big kind of thing with that is these uh, this type of like electric vehicle has not been around that long and they're going to just get better at manufacturing it. Obviously they'd like to make it cheaper for themselves and make it cheaper for the consumer at the end of the day. Um, so if, if there's a way that they can make those processes more efficient, use less or use a different alternative that's easier to get, they're going to do it uh, in the coming years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also just with like, I see a big argument against EVs is sort of that a lot of the electricity that goes to power them still comes from burning fossil fuels to essentially put that electricity into the battery. But if you just think about how the next like 10 and 20 years are going to go in terms of the world transitioning to solar and wind power primarily, it's going to really get to a point where no longer are you like powering the EV batteries with fossil fuel sources it's really going to start to come more and more from sustainable sources as well, which is just never going to happen if you keep using gas cars, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I just, it's just something that I've been super interested in recently and been diving into a lot to learn more about it, but pretty excited about the, the future of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, they, they, they always say, oh, well, your car is powered by fossil fuels still. <laughs> they love that line. Uh, but yeah, big thing out here by me on on Cape Cod is they're doing the offshore wind project. So that's supposed to be able to power the entirety of Cape Cod with offshore wind. Oh, wow. So pretty interesting seeing that movement towards renewables instead of fossil fuel grids. That's cool. How far off do they have to put that? I don't remember. It's pretty far. It's off by Martha's Vineyard, I believe. Oh, okay. So, yeah, cool. I have to look into it a little bit more. They have some really strange... Uh, it's not requirements. It's like they're allowed to take a lot of wildlife with that project, though, which is kind of concerning to me. And I think it's a pretty big another one of those points a lot of people have against renewable energy. They're like, oh, windmills kill this many birds every year and solar panels do the same. But then to them, I like to always say it's like, well, so does fossil fuels. They're just not <laughs> being watched as stringently and they're definitely dying all the time if they fly over those those coal fields or anything along those lines they're they're just dying but no one's hearing about it yeah that's uh that is an interesting argument against it <laughs> it's like <laughs> kind of bizarre but i feel like no yeah. matter what like if you wanted to you could pretty much paint anything in a negative light so i don't know kind of got to look at the bigger picture i guess and see what's really net benefit versus net negative right but that has been our episode of episode of Poison for Profit for the night. I <laughs> uh, just want to give you a huge thank you, Andrew, for coming on and talking us about, with us about pla- packaging pollution. Holy cow, maybe I got struck by lightning. Um, it was really interesting hearing you uh, talk about all these different packaging, and I learned a lot tonight, so 
Thank you very yeah, much. It's good to get some insight on the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's fun. And it honestly, do you want to talk about our microplastic thing coming up? Yeah. So we're working on a, I'd say a series, a project on microplastics. We're going to really get into it, into the um, details on it and talk about microplastics in general background on microplastics where they come from what they do to the environment and the human body and and then some of the sources and and some of the actors behind the microplastics crisis that we are in yeah so this actually is pretty good almost like an intro to the intro (laughs) for for that series so definitely totally planned that way (laughs) uh But yeah, uh, thank you again to Andrew, and thank you all for listening. Anything else from you, Zach? Talk to you next time.